Good morning, afternoon, evening, or nighttime, whenever you are listening. We appreciate you being here. This is the Selection Collection podcast, or just Selection Collection. Um, The reason for the name being it is a collection of episodes that the topics are being selected by your two co-hosts. I am one of your co-hosts, Austin Shanahan, and uh, would my other co-host like to introduce himself? Yeah, thanks, Austin. I am Will Dorjeff, and I gotta say, I'm pretty excited to be here. Will, I I could not agree more. Um, This is really going to be something that I think we've wanted to do for a long time. Yeah, we've talking about movies, TV shows we've seen lately, and we just kind of both really kind of wanted to put something out there, and like I said, I'm excited to go for it. Mm -hmm, I agree, and then let's not forget the third major topic so the selection collection will have three main media outlets that will be our one main topic per episode whether it be books movies or television and then it will kind of sort of be just a grab bag essentially what we want to talk about what we want to talk about what's relevant going on in entertainment even in sports um in kind of garbage news whether it be that sort of tmz bullshit if we want to talk about it doesn't really matter but what we really want is for you the listener whomever you may be to interact with us to let us know what you want to hear as well we'll have social media it'll be instagram and twitter and the tag will be something along the lines of selection collection we'll let you know later on But uh, we're really, really glad that you're here listening, and um, we're really looking forward to sharing the experience of our first episode with you. Main topic for the first episode. Gosh, this feels special already. Yeah, feels like it's been a long time coming almost. Almost, maybe some would say inevitable, but... uh, (laughs) You know, with all the bullshit we shoot, I think it was just about time. But uh, we're going to talk Spider-Man No Way Home, Um, a basically internet-breaking movie that a lot of people have thoughts on. And, Will, I want to get your thoughts first. Yeah, we saw this one together, um, and I was happy we saw it in the theaters. It kind of was one of those spectacles that needed fans in the seats. just one of those movies where you see those big kind of moments in it where you're the whole crowd is into it and you're like, okay, you kind of get that special feeling where I was happy we saw that in theaters. Um, it was good, man. It, it was good. I, I enjoyed it more than I actually thought I was going to. Um, I thought maybe they were going to do kind of corny stuff with the three of them kind of getting them together. But at the end of the day, I thought they did a pretty good job getting them together and I liked it. I think, you know, I think we're at the point now where we're recording where, you know, it's, we don't need to worry about spoilers. So yeah, let's, let's first get that on the table that the, let's be honest, Andrew Garfield, um, Tobey Maguire, Tom Holland. I mean, if if you've been this long and not figured that out, I mean, everyone (laughs) knew that from six months before the movie came out. Well, let's let's be honest. If you're listening to the podcast, you probably already know this. You're active on some sort of media, on some sort of social media. You know about this. I mean, Andrew Garfield was doing yeah. fake interviews for a year just saying, I'm not going to be on it with a yeah. grin. Let's so just the whole get, time you knew he was going to be in it. Let's just get so, this out there. 
you've seen the movie. Exactly. Or know something about but it. But that news about Andrew Garfield today with, uh, well, with Emma Stone. Emma Stone. Very funny. Yeah, so we haven't said the date, so this is going to do some digging if you know exactly we're the date. We're, we're doing recording that. the podcast on January 17th, 2022. Um, but... It's uh, yeah that uh, he had a lie to her. She was texting him about it. It's like <laughs> I imagine Emma Stone was probably texting him a lot because she seems not neurotic but intense enough to want to know the background and also want to know any sort of like little secrets that other people don't. And I love Emma Stone. She's one of my absolute favorites in Hollywood right now. But oh yeah, I would. I imagine he was getting at least one text a week before the movie came out. I mean, that's where they met each other, start dating and stuff, and then they dated. Yeah. I did not know you that. You didn't know that? Oh, yeah, because of Amazing Spider-Man. Nice. Now nice. we got uh, him and Tom Holland. When did they... I'm, aren't they... They're split up now. Oh, yeah, yeah. When, I mean, How long did they date? Oh, a couple years. Three, okay. four years. Okay. This was like 2013, though. I forgot how long yeah. ago those movies came out. Yeah. When was... When did... Do you know off the top of your head? If I have to look it up, I will. Do you know off the top of your head when the first one came out? I'm pretty close to 2013. Amazing yeah. Or it's like 2009. Oh, 2012. 2012, yep. okay. Yep. And then so was, the second one, 2014. Okay, so I was right in the middle. Okay, yeah, but still, I mean, that's, geez, 10 years, a decade later. Yeah. Anyway, I'll say Andrew Garfield looked great in the Spider-Man suit. He didn't look any bit different. He was one of my favorite parts. I mean, he was, I thought his chemistry with those other two was perfect. The redemption that he had was absolutely perfect. I mean, I thought he was actually the bright spot of that movie. Mm-hmm, definitely. And that's a good segue, I think, because, you know, I, I really would like to talk about each of our favorite, favorite scenes. parts okay. or just, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a scene necessarily, but, just, you know, yeah. what, what, we, we enjoyed. what we liked most, okay. whether it be a moment or, or just the style or how the timing worked, I, I think that um, that would be really cool to go over. So... You tell me first. What I was your kind favorite? Of touched about upon it, but I did really enjoy the chemistry between Tobey Maguire, Tom mm-hmm. Holland, and Andrew Garfield. I thought they did a very good job of showing three different Spider-Men from completely three different universes. Um, the whole fight scene at the end of them working together was perfect to me. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, that. I'm like, give me more of that. Um, I that's kind of what was the shining light to me. Um, I thought the Doc Ock working with uh, Tom Holland. That was a very good rapport he had with him. Alfred Molina was perfect. Um, I loved the whole story about how in this new movie that um, he basically was on like a levitating kind of uh, crane. Where in the old ones, there's puppeteers on there. Right. Isn't that crazy? That they they were working as like a six-man team puppeteering the arms while they worked around. And I think Tom Holland in an interview, he's like, yeah, during the movie, we would just be talking, have a conversation, and they were setting up for the next scene, and he would just float away. And he's like, he had so much more time to be animated with his own arms and his facial because he's not worrying about four other guys behind him. Yeah, so I thought man- managing his his metallic arms. Yeah, so I thought that was great about it. Uh, how about yourself? So, well, I want to follow up on the Alfred. Was he the guy? Was because I know all the interviews that have come out after the movie. Was it Alfred Molina? Who was asked, um, why did you agree to do this? And he said, for money. the money. Okay. Yes. Yep. What a great answer. But you know what? Even even if he was fiscally motivated, I really, really appreciate the effort he put in to, to bringing that character back. Because he was just as believable as he was in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Oh, 
So that was that was really great. Um, but then that kind of also transitions to to my um, my favorite part of this, and it's not really a scene as much as it is Willem Dafoe oh, bringing okay. back the brilliance of Green Goblin. I mean, I I think that in the original Tobey Maguire Spider Man series that Willem Dafoe was the shining star in that first movie and the, the legacy he leaves to Harry as a character. I mean, he's, he's essential in all three movies, even though he dies in the first one. I think you could argue he is one of the best superhero villains that has ever Out been, of all of them that has ever been shown on the mm-hmm. movie screen. I think so too. And, and the, uh, there's a great video um, by a YouTube channel, Nerdstalgic, that talks about I know. why Willem That was a recent Dafoe, one, right? Yeah, very yeah, recent. Well. Why Willem Dafoe is so good in that movie. And I recommend, if you're listening, go watch that. It's eight minutes long, nine minutes long, whatever. And he really dives deep into Willem Dafoe's brilliance as the dual Harry Osborne goblin personality and the acting that he does to portray each. And there's one, and I know we're kind of going away from No Way Home right now, but I have to talk about it. There's a scene at the end when the when he's begging Peter not to kill him. And midway through, he says, he goes something along the lines of, you can't let him take over again. But in sentence, he changes from Osborne to Goblin. And the, his eyebrows arch, his voice changes, and it's so subtle, but it's so perfect that it's it, it's excellent. And he brings, and Willem Dafoe brings that same energy back to No Way Home. And it is awesome to see, and even though he has that goofy ass, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself line again, that you know, that meme. The, oh, but that had to be in there. You knew it was going to be. Yeah, there was the whole time. You uh, knew that was going to be in there. That's Marvel with Disney. You know that stuff's going to be in there. Cap- so going to it beforehand, I I don't get angry anymore because I know they're going to do that. Yeah, I, I was expecting some BS myself, but I... Oh, come I, on. You I, knew I, it. <laughs> I Captain Picard and facepalmed at that scene and just guffawed out loud because it was it was cheesy. But he at the end of the day, he still he stole the show as so the we, Goblin. The Like Alfred Molina saying, you got to pay me. William Defoe's argument... The only thing that he would come back for is he had to do all his stunts. Right. Yeah. That's that's. He's awesome. like he goes. That's he's like I. That's I'm Goblin. He goes. Right. So if you want me back, I'm doing my freaking stunts, yeah, man. Forget liability. I'm taking this thing. Like that's that just shows you. He's like, no, I love this character. Well, they saw. I'm, I guaranteed that he figured out what they were doing with Molina on the wires, and they're like, well, can they put me on the wires in my? Uh, it was my, just a, the, just a platform. Yeah. The, just the a, Goblin. What is it called? The what his. Yeah, the, the glider or the green gliders, yeah, something like that. Uh, someone's screaming, whoever's listening and knows that answer, but all the uh, pissed, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, like, this is a simple thing <laughs> we're talking about Spider Man, we should know, but we both don't, right? Let's not dwell so, so, so they don't let's break their skip phone. it, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, it's uh, he was great, he was, was great, like, I mean, great. would you change anything though about the movie? I mean, it, there were so many ups and downs, would you? Is there something that you would like to see that you didn't or that you would remove that was there? I don't think there was a lot that I like. I didn't see because they did cram a bunch of it in there. 
Um, yeah, what was the runtime in that movie anyway? Oh, two and a half hours, I believe. It was a long runtime. It's long. It definitely was. But it was. Yeah, it was two hours. It was, like 30, and 30, it was two hours and twenty-eight minutes. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, they put a lot in there. I thought there were some parts that were Marvel MCU, like okay, like that's a little of a leap, like how quickly. I mean, you can if you really wanted to get cynical, you could dissect the movie any way you want, but that's not what these are for. I mean, it's the MCU. I mean, this is for the whole spectacle of everything. So in that aspect, I did like I. But seeing, like I said, like my favorite stuff about it was them three together. Mm -hmm. I kind of wish there was more of them actually together, but not like completely as Spider-Man. What do you, can you explain? Like more as their Peter Parker. Oh, okay. I thought when they were all together in May's house and stuff and just chatting and going about it, they really worked well off each other. No, I mean. I understand why they couldn't because the way they needed to bring them in and because you have to bring in how many bad guys is or villains is it like six? Like, uh, yeah, it's the Sinister Six, but I think there were only five. I think there's only five. Lizard, Sandman, yeah. Goblin, Goblin, Doc Ock, and Electro. Yeah, Is I mean, you could you could contest six. that technically Venom wasn't at the end. Yeah, but he but wasn't no. in it, but and whatever. He's not, he's not a Sinister Six. Six anyway. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they had to bring five guys, so five villains and stuff in, so I understood why you couldn't do more. And that's me nitpicking, because mm-hmm. I really did enjoy this movie. Now let me nitpick your nitpick. That that's because what, what we do. You wanted more Peter Parker. I think that that introduction, and then along with the chemistry they had together, I think that kind of gave us enough of each Peter Parker as their own individual. Especially during that scene right after Peter Tom Holland Peter loses his Aunt May. Yeah. Like, they're all having that really emotional moment. True. And that dies into that. But then they're also, they also have that, you know, chatty banter afterward with the, the web coming out of... No, like I'm saying, that's OB. the stuff I love. That's what I'm saying. I'm not... I'm nitpicking a movie because that's the parts I really liked. I would have been fine with more of that than... But at the same... that I also have been fine the movie was three hours. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, they could have gave me more, but... Nobody's gonna sit through a three-hour Spider-Man. I mean, we would, but well, I, I think that people uh, would, maybe you could. I mean, with the hype that that movie had, I think that people would probably be more than willing to sit through three hours of of Spider-Man if it if it involved Garfield and McGuire. Yeah. So, but you know, I even though I nitpicked your nitpick, I, I don't think that I really have anything that I would change that drastically in regards to this movie it it wasn't perfect by any means and there no. were there were silly moments i think if anything i would have liked um and and this is probably a setup but i i found ned more compelling in this movie with his um chemistry with zendaya yeah i found that more compelling than his past two roles I would have liked to see a little bit more Ned and Zendaya kind of. Yeah, they kind of, I will say they were, they, they were in it a lot less. It was than, just act three, yeah. which was really their main role. And but they all Ned was there, was there to do was just to summon and make portholes, which is, and I, they're going to set him up. He's going to be part of the camertage. Yeah. But 
it's going to be. Uh, I mean, you know, you're going to you're going to get a, a Ned and um, Wong Wong scene. Like it's just going right. to happen. I mean, right. and please, like yes, I do yeah, want that. Yeah. Like at the end, yes, mm-hmm. because you know I do like how they set up for him becoming the real neighborhood Spider Man. He made it his own made his own suit. No one he doesn't know him. The Avengers even know him anymore. Right. Like you're setting up I mean, for the, the cliffhanger. The cliff, yeah, I mean you're setting up for the future of the Spider Man of him. Being an unknown. Right. Like, back to basically comics and everything where he's not basically a complete Avenger. Mm-hmm. Like, a full-blown, hey, I have spider legs coming out of my back that are nanotech that are going to stab you through the chest. Right. Instant kill mode. Instant kill mode. Yeah. Like, right. He's, well, that's why they That's wanted, why I like it. I mean... That's why they wanted to do the next... Um, Tom Holland's getting another trilogy. He's going to be your the true friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I mean, he never got the chance to be that. Everything no, was focused around being an Avenger because he was brought in and it's Civil in War, Civil I mean, War as basically an, an Avenger, and then he got Homecoming, and immediately it's about Tony Stark and yeah. Know, I mean, that, the Tony Stark universe. Is him that kind not, of, it wasn't really about Spider-Man. Those that, that first movie. Let's be honest. Oh, it's the relationship between Tony and him that had to set up for. Avengers Infinity well, War yeah, you, get the heart, you get the heartbreak but everyone's but, heartbroken regardless but I'm, I'm saying yeah, but it, it's the whole Spider-Man line with Uncle Ben Tony basically mm. Tony basically became that version of Uncle Ben that's the other so he uh, had to that had to happen but you are correct I mean if Iron Man's in your movie people are like sweet like Iron Man's in the movie like you pay a pretty penny for uh, RDJ but that's the that was the Wes Sinister Six villain. Oh, yeah, it's... Vulcan. The Vulcan. Um, Vulture. Vulture, yeah. Vulcan. Vulcan. What am I thinking? Oh, I'm thinking Star Trek. Man, that's Um, going to get out of there. That's two groups. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Getting two Marvel and Star Trek fans who are just not going to be happy after this one. It's the first pod. And they're going to be like, man, these guys don't know anything. We lost listeners. We just lost a lot of listeners. (laughs) The one guy who finally found it, he's like, you talk shit about Star Trek, this is when I'm gone. Vulcans? You don't know Vulcans? (laughs) I can live long and prosper, bitch. I hope you don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I. You know, I think we're getting nitpicky, but you know, it was yeah, a, but that's why we wanted to review this first. Good movies do great. Good movies do get nitpicked. Yeah. I mean, if you're a bad movie, people are like the acting was brutal. That was brutal. I can't believe like they pulled that on us like a random change. Right. Good just, movies get nitpicked. Just trash. Trash is yeah. trash, and you just put it in the dumpster. But a good movie. You have to question whether it deserved to be on the on the shelf or not. So, and I do think this is one of the MCU movies that are it's going to be rewatched. Mm-hmm. There are some that, from the early days, most people won't touch anymore. I mean, the original Thor, and Thor yeah. actually the original is fine, but whatever. There's mm. ones like that that are down on my list now because they've Still had sleepy. They've had Still so sleeper. many movies now. Right. That I don't go back and rewatch a lot of them. Like, I still will touch upon them every once in a while if I'm bored and scrolling. But I think this one's it's a sticker. I mean, and you bring up Thor and you bring up, you know, other individual movies like, remember, like the Ed Norton Hulk, even though he was discontinued. Yeah, or, or you bring up the first three Iron Man movies. But, you know, it's important to think about, like, how important are these team-ups? How essential is it that more than one superhero is on screen now? Because at, when when Avengers, Joss Whedon Avengers, the first one came out, wasn't that 
like the absolute box office breaker. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's it's hard. So, but that's going that way. I mean, the way the MC, because the MCU is now going on for I don't know twelve years now since that movie. Um, you're, we're seeing them start with the individual characters, mm-hmm. move to basically the Avengers were teaming them up. Now they're getting so big that they're bringing all these people in everyone's individual movies. Instead of having the Guardian Galaxies being themselves, Thor's joining them. Right, now. yeah, Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder, exactly. Instead of just Doctor Strange, you have... Spider-Man. Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and you have and then Wanda movie, coming yeah, in the next movie. Multiverse of Madness, yeah. So, I, I guess, I, I have a question for you. Do you think this is the only way that movies are going to be making those big bucks, the box offices, is you have these big team-up movies. I mean, Justice League tried it, but too early because no one was invested, but they still are trying it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, first of all, bringing that Justice League up. I think it's important to to differentiate between DC and Marvel um, because DC movies aren't, they, they, they're good, few, and far between. You know, Marvel has a great track record compared to to DC and and what they've done. So I think that while to really break the box office, yes, you have to make a team-up movie. But at the end of the day, this was really only billed with Cumberbatch and Holland. Yeah, but 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 everyone here, let me, let me, me you're going to say that's not what they made. It's not. But no, 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 that's not what I'm going to say. I'm, okay. What I'm going to say is there was so much speculation and so much so intrigue. They built it up. Exactly. And it was the same and thing for, throw those villains for in. Infinity War and Endgame. People just want to know the answer. Like True. Endgame. Are they, is everyone going to come back? I mean, yeah, they, it, they were. But but yes, I, I know what you mean here. So, so I think the answer to your question is yes and no. Well, I, yeah, I will say I don't think that only team-up movies, only these big budget superhero type flicks are gonna make it in the box office i think those are the only ones that are gonna make freaking megatons of money now you're still gonna have your i think your 10 million a24 kind of movies mm. that will still if they only gross 120 mil doesn't matter they still make even 60 conservatively with their marketing budget they still make money i think those i think you're gonna see though mid-level the 50 million comedies and the 80 million action flicks not get put in theaters but go to your netflixes and hbo maxes and you're like is that a total good thing i don't know but at the same time i'm still going to always go to box off i'm still going to go to a theater mm-hmm. and you know we're seeing I, I i mean army of the dead let's let, let's give an example mid-pandemic yeah. army of the dead action flick high budget Vegas zombies that are smart. I was intrigued. I'm a zombie guy. I know that movie kind of looked like garbage to other people and it wasn't excellent, but I enjoyed it. It was in theaters for a few weeks and then it went to Netflix. I think there's room for all of those different types of movies. Yeah. But we're still in a learning area, not only with COVID, but with all the streaming platforms with direct to streaming versus limited release versus um, six week release then to streaming. I think that all of those movie genres are going to find a place within their selective oh i i 100 agree like i i think there's some people crying wolf thinking oh this is going to ruin box office and a lot of times you see those older kind of 
establishment directors and stuff, and I'm not gonna everybody your older grand all oh, with the box office is not the same. It's like <laughs> it's like, yeah, but that's not a bad thing. Yeah, we have it more towards the touch of our finger. We could watch anything we like. But I think if you have a good movie, people will still pay the money to go see it. I mean also theaters have a big deal with it. I think theaters are going the correct way where we've seen around us at least recently that uh, put cushion seats that recline. Mm-hmm. Take out as many seats as you can and put comfy stuff seats so you don't have to sell so many tickets You and then you still have your concessions and everything. So I think at the end of the day, box office is going to be there. And I don't think it's a bad thing to have these Temple movies. No, no. It's it's always going to be a battle. Yeah. And you're going to have film snobs like Scorsese and, your yeah. and, and guys who I'm... say, uh, you know, those comic book movies, they're not, that's not cinema, that's not film. I mean, well, technically it is. It's being filmed, you know, in, yeah. in theaters. But just because those guys don't like it, at the end of the day, doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. Sells, that's, that's what's and getting the consumed. Studios, the studios are going to going to act on what sells. It's yeah, their, you're, it's we're, their best interest to make We're going to be getting a lot of these, as we've seen on... I mean, Disney Plus needs as much content as they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what they're struggling for right now, so they need content. Right. And guess what, Scorsese? Your movies are going to be funded by the box office winnings of those crazy, high-budget superhero Look at movies, the Irishman. So. He went to Netflix for the Irishman. Right. So it, and it sold like... It, it's it, it was viewed like crazy. That was the top-viewed movie for two weeks. Yeah. Which so, is hard to do on Netflix, especially because, you know, after a week in a high-profile film on Netflix, somehow it gets 100 billion views, says Netflix. Yeah. You know, so... Whatever. But along that same token of, you know... Netflix and, and all these streaming shows and platforms, we're, we're starting to get higher profile streaming TV shows too. And I, I, I really wanted to talk about, I know you wanted to talk about Spider-Man. Well, I really wanted to talk about was my absolute favorite season of television ever, which is True Detective season one. Um, and you, it, I can't even balk at that. And that's usually something when somebody brings up, this is my favorite single season of a TV show of all time. I think the majority of us are about to balk. Be like, okay, what are you about to throw at me that you're going to actually try to argue that this is the best single season? Because that's a freaking hard thing to do. There's been a lot of good TV shows that have had a good one season run. But True Detective Season 1 is definitely one that I can't really argue because... It's fucking good. I mean, so I, oh my God, I don't even know where to start with this. It's one of those shows. So if if you're listening and you have not seen this TV show and and you've seen other high profile TV shows like Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad. Sopranos. The Wire. Think of anything like that. Think of the best season that's come out of that. So my example would be. Season five, part two of Breaking Bad, or season four of Game of Thrones. Yes. Um, though I would compare season one of True Detective to the quality of that, but I would say it's better because it's a limited series. It's you get eight eight episodes of excellence. Woody Harrelson, Matthew McConaughey, and it uh, just works. It just works. It just works. I remember. Back when, when was it released? It was, gosh, it was 2011, 2012. 
Uh, check that real see. quick because I remember back then. Oh, it's it's later than that. Like 2015? 2014. Okay. January 12th was the okay. first episode. I remember not really knowing anything about it when it first came out and just randomly, like, a month, two months beforehand, seeing, like, wait, there's going to be a Woody Harrelson, Matthew McConaughey TV show, limited series, like, mm-hmm. drama. It's I'm like, like, I'm like, wait, what? It like, sounded like, a bit out of the blue. I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, wait, when did this happen? Right, the pairing is strange. Yeah, but, but holy <laughs> hell, do those two just work? I'm, they play off each other so well that I, the first, I, I, usually it takes me a couple episodes to get into a show unless it's really good. I was hooked after 10 minutes of this damn show. I yeah. knew I had to finish it. I have a three show buffer. I God give, I, no, no, I, well, I give a, a show. show or three episodes. Sorry, episode. Sorry. sorry, I give a three episode buffer where I'll give you your first three because sometimes right. the setup takes a bit. But if I don't like it by the third, I usually will stop because I'm like, I'm not committing. There's so much out there now. This is one of the shows, like you just said, where 15, 20, 30 minutes in, you're like, how many episodes are there? Because I don't want this to stop. And the answer to how many episodes are there is not enough. Exactly. Eight episodes, none of them going over an hour. And it's so, so hard to to pick a favorite episode, even like even harder to pick a favorite moment. But I, I did want to talk about choosing whether it be a favorite episode or a favorite scene from from one of the episodes. I will say there's... See, I'll, I'll let you lead it off. Okay, you, let me lead... You know what, because I have a, a few, so I'm glad you're okay. leading it off because I think I, if, what I, I'll choose there may the be. other there's, one, what you don't There's choose. one in my mind that... Is it a scene or is it an episode? It's a scene. Okay. Um... Is it the one? You probably know the one, but I kind of want to set it up. I, for me, a lot of times these good, you get like HBO, the old HBO shows that before HBO Max and stuff, where they're putting more out, but they still put freaking great content out, that the high-budget TV shows, mm-hmm. something that I've always kind of gone to and liked is how they shoot it, cinematography, okay, and lighting, it. and I everything like that. So this one that always sticks in mind is that freaking six-minute tracking yes. shot. Yes. In the compound. I believe that's episode four. I think it is. Anyone listening, the episode is episode four, Who Goes There. It it's the just end of this episode. is perfect. I mean, it's a six-minute shot of just action stuff is going on. And I think one of my favorite parts about that can is... Can you give a little... Not like, just don't spoil anything, but can you... Can you describe where it tracks? Yeah, I, I think it's great because it follows Rust when he's with the gang into the like, basically ghetto trap house um, when they're trying to rob him and everything. And then shit just kind of goes haywire after that. And that's kind of what's great to me about it is because so much is going on and because they're it's a one-shot track behind him and kind of in front of him everything, you get all this action flying through the camera and everything going on, but still focused on Rust. Just focused on him right there. So, like, after he has to, then he has to go get Ginger and whatever, bring him to the compound. The whole, but the whole middle part, you always end up on his face. And Matthew McConaughey does such a good job of showing the freaking emotions that he's going through mm-hmm. right there perfectly after just stuff happens always kind of comes back and you just see him and you're just like 
shit, you feel that tension. Like, you, I remember watching that scene and being like, okay, here we go. Like, right. what's going to happen? And it's like, goes, and mm-hmm. it goes. And I just, and it's like, you're like, when is this going to end? And then it's like <laughs> six minutes long. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoo, after you get out of it, you almost have to take a breath because mm-hmm. it's like, wow. And I just, like I said, I just think that when you see Matthew kind of's face just every time going through with, it's just, it makes it. You right. the cam works perfect, and you're you're right about being out of breath. It's taxing. It's taxing to watch watch that scene because the you know the things go haywire and they have to get out of the robbery. But the then there's like a scene where McConaughey is avoiding violence on one end, but the police are showing up outside the house, so he yeah. has to make a quick move, and then Ginger manages to like get away and there's that where and you to bring it back to your face where he has to wrangle ginger back in and punches him right in the face and like you can see the fury but also the exhaustion on mcconaughey's face for being in this situation it's just unbelievable it's the from the camera work to the acting to the choreography of everything that's going on It, it you took. I, I let you go first because I knew you were going to say. I mean, that. that's the one I, that everybody talked. Yeah, I had a but backup. But it's yeah. It, it's one of those ones that I don't think, as a viewer, you always appreciate as much during it. But those like long duration shot scenes take so much group choreography mm-hmm. to get everything right. If one single explosive goes off wrong. You have to reset everything up. Right. So for a TV show, especially for its first season, they probably didn't have that much room for mistakes. They probably didn't have more than three takes on mm-hmm. that. I mean, they went through run-throughs and like that, but that's like impressive stuff. Like that stuff is like makes it for me. It's like wow. Like you get lost in it, and then after the fact, that's when I always start thinking about it. And like that was six minutes, right? Or like, however long. I don't. Yeah, I don't know the exact duration, but like, it's it's around six. But minutes. To, to bring it back to your point about about making sure that everything goes well, the 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 creator Nick Pizzolatto, he had a good amount of time to to make this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was a relatively new like project for him. He was not a veteran at this point for for creating, and HBO gave him a chance because they loved this the screenplay and they loved what what he presented to them and they were willing to fund something like this which is awesome i mean hbo has always been known to kind of out their sort of projects and not stick to the template but it's uh it's wild fun fact nick pizzolato's middle name is austin so greatness runs within but so i i've chatted online so what's your backup? What was that? My backup, uh, and I, I don't like to say backup because because it's all this of it. scene. It's, yeah, this scene rings to me. It gives me goosebumps just as much as that that single track shot does, and it's the scene in episode five where Marty Hart, played by Woody Harrelson, and Russ Cole, played by Matthew McConaughey, are giving their separate dispositions for what happens in this specific scene and I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything, but what they're describing to the investigators and to the court hearing people that they can get it actually down on record is very different from what happens. And it is phenomenal. The editing, 
the acting, not only McCon- you assume it from McConaughey. He's, he's in you know, Oscars. He's unbelievable. But from Harrelson and just the way he can portray the, the emotion in this scene and what he does in that scene, it, it's so believable. You, you actually think he's been victimized by what he's seen. And I, I that there's something about that whole dynamic that changes the relationship the relationship between soul and heart and the the dynamic of that partnership moving forward that they become reliant on each other in a sort of dark kind of way not not completely like parasitic but like that line you know like Mm -hmm. but i will say like going along with you talking about like the deposition scenes is i love those kind of when it went to Woody, um, when it went to uh, Marty and then to Rust and how you saw like their different kind of stories, the way they talk, the way the um, other officers reacted with them and how they played, how they were kind of more cordial with um, Marty and everything. And then you go, then it flipped you to kind of the before when they were actual partners and the way they worked together mm. being almost completely opposite. You could still feel the chemistry between those two characters and like the, you the division of like the uncomfortableness that he feels sometimes with rust and it's like he's they're both so freaking good in it that it just drives it forward and the screenplay is perfect that that you know you usually expect like the slop in the middle of the season like if it's even a good television show will have episodes that are kind of that will run a little bit more like molasses in the middle of this like a season even if it's rivet it, it just they got to set stuff up for the there's end. always connecting episodes but they're always a little slower but, and and even though the the two episodes i mean our favorite scenes are from four and five those are connecting episodes and it's still riveting and you can i cannot i finished season one in 36 hours and oh. that's only because i started it at uh nine o'clock at night and I stayed up till one in the morning with the first four. And it's one of those shows where I was you're... busy the next day, <laughs> so yeah. I, I had to go back that night. So I I could not stop thinking about it when I was busy that next day after the first four. And it, it just there, there there haven't been many shows like that since. And we had the benefit. I I don't think you started it in 2014 when it was airing week by week. I'm sure you watched it when all the episodes were available um, on HBO. Yeah. 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 So, I remember watching it like the week after the last episode dropped. Oh, okay. So you were a lot more recent than I was cuz I yeah. I didn't start it until 2015. No, I remember cuz I saw it a couple months before and I'm like, "Oh, I'm I got to remember this." Right. And yeah. then I remember watching it and then I binged it again the next year. I I watch it every year. It, like so. it's one of those <laughs> I I think I've seen it like six or seven times. It, it's, it's it's it never gets bad, it never gets boring. I I'll tweet about it often. Some like I ask for Sunday movie recommendations on my Twitter or Sunday TV shows. And I'll always put that in there because it's electricity on the screen. Yeah. And I think it shows you one of those shows that it didn't set up anything going forward. It was a one concrete story and you could keep going back to it. Mm -hmm. Like, even though you, you're like, you just said, you watch it once a year and it's still that riveting. I think that's an example of good, television that they didn't need to sequel bait it right 
of hey, oh, we got to come back to watch the next mm-hmm. season and then the next season. It's, it's there's not a lot of those. I mean, you do get those limited series that does this, but there's not a lot of TV shows like this. Did have the season two and three, which we'll get to that. They were able to go do season two and three because season one was so damn good mm-hmm. without needing to lean into, <laughs> without leading into the next two seasons. Right. You can finalize, you can structure everything in a nice arc, and the arc has an end point. It doesn't have to loop down and come back and be riveting again for another season. And that's, I, I think, my one gripe about modern kind of binging TV shows. That when they are trying to have these sequels, that usually at the ending they're always like, "Oh, but look at last second, there's something else on the horizon that these are, they're going to have to go to." Like a bad it's like, oh, yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, that's the next bad guy. It's like, okay, this is going to be the next bad thing mm-hmm. in the next season. And you know, I can't fault no, you, you TV can't. shows for that because if they if they know they have a good viewership, like like even cruddy shows like Riverdale. And they're not credit. I'm sorry if our listeners like Riverdale, but not critically acclaimed. Let's just no, say that. No, let's, but yeah, that's even you a, know, it's, it's critics are wrong all the time. It's anyway. junk food. It tastes yeah. good, but at the end of the day, it's, it's still a quick. Not it's a quick great. binge. You, it's you don't. Not great. You, you know? could be doing two things. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be full time. Yeah. Good. Um. You know, and that's that's a tough thing because you want to keep a sustained revenue stream. And you want to be creative with what you make. And I'm sure most of these guys who make garbage are actually passionate about the garbage they're making. But yeah, at the same time, I think if you're a creator and you're really passionate about what you're making, you have to know that there's an end point. You have to know that there's a point in the road where you stop and you say, so there's, that's enough. That's kind of where I guess I'm coming from more is when these, you know, the creator had a kind of arc in mind when studios streaming services push them to go further like nope we want to keep this mm-hmm. going like stranger things stranger, like things, stranger things i felt like that should too. have ended after season two i even think maybe season one it would have been a great limited series well they didn't even know that it was gonna go on right. so that's why it was to me a very good single season but then they had to do more and now after season two you felt like okay there's more here but i also gotta watch season three now and i think there's Going in a Netflix show, which had a three-season arc, but they wrote three seasons of the arc, is Dark, which is uh, a German TV show. I know, I know. And um, I've, I love the show. I just, it's hard it, for to me, me it's one, like, keeping my focus yeah, for many episodes. It's one of I'm my sorry. favorite of all time. We'll and get to that. It does, we'll it just has that. a three-season three arc that does fit it, and they wrote it all out. Like, they had an outline, and I think those shows do really well because the creator has an end goal in mind, and they don't go past it. Mm-hmm. They've they've storyboarded and they've they've written it all out beforehand and they know where they're going to go with the seasons. They have to. The biggest stress for those guys is making the first season riveting enough to be able to produce yeah. the next two, and that's the hardest thing. But going on that, that doesn't always mean that shows that end at one season and then continue on are going to be just as good. A good example is True Detective season two. Oh well, yeah, can we not talk about it? I mean. Ugh. I mean, we're talking about season one, how good it is. You gotta also put the bad. So I DNF'd this. Do not finish. Um, uh, I absolutely hated the dynamic between the characters. Um, Colin Farrell, Rachel McAdams, Vince Vaughn. Uh, wow. What a dud compared to 
compared to one, it's, and I mean, I'm not McAdams and I thought Colin she was fine. are they're good talent. Vince Vaughn, he's fine. He's he's put some good stuff out there, but he'll never win an Oscar. Um, but honestly, Woody Harrelson probably will never win an Oscar and Emmy either. Yeah. That's but but you you know the partnership sticks with season one. You know that that works, and then even though they probably Pizzolatto, the creator of season two and season three, probably intended for that chemistry to be just as good. It just wasn't. It no. didn't work. And it, I, I can't really say much more about it because no, wasn't I DNF'd couldn't. it. I, I didn't get past episode two. I finished episode two. I'm like, I'm not going to watch this. Yeah, it's one, that's one of those. I did finish it, but. Oh, I'm sorry. No, Six it was. Six hours you wish you got back after almost, the first two. Yeah. It was one of those, mm. but I, I made it to episode five. I'm like, whatever, I'm going to keep finishing this. It, it just wasn't the same. Right. And that sometimes is the problem when you have a freaking phenomenal, like, first season of something. <laughs> and it's a limited series. And then it's a limited series that creating completely new stories, not always easy and stuff, but it wasn't season one. I can't think of anything else that's really done that whole limited series thing with three seasons that are completely disconnected. There's that... One Halloween scary movie. Trilogy. I mean, um, American Horror Story does it. Oh every year. yeah, yeah. Who and who makes that? I, I don't know his name. Whatever his name is, he's he's all right, and he's you know. A, There's been some really talent, good ones and some bad ones. That, yeah. And that show is great too. That's another one that's. Um, yeah. Then you have um, the. It's the tr- um, the trial against O.J. Simpson. The trial against. Um, right, but that's the subject. It's not. They're not all named American Horror Story. You know, yeah, because the and then the the story of uh, no, I pretty Versace sure they're, or I something. Think they're true crime, the story of Versace, true crime, the trial of OJ. Oh, okay. I think but, they're, but yeah, they're it's, it's they're not, not really in the same sense. Right, a true detective, right. really, true is. detective yeah. is its own. And then you know, if you did, you want to get into season three or? I'll be honest with you, I've saw. It. Oh, okay. I hated season two so much. So I was like, I'm not gonna. Mahershala Ali I heard it's is better. Is the saving grace. Yeah. Um, I, and he's I, great. I, mean, I watched all of it, um, and I really enjoyed it. The ending is heartbreaking and ambiguous, which is nice, because um, I always like an open-ended sort of finale. Like that, you choose let, that lets you think. Yeah, lets you think about it. Um, but it was. I mean, like you said earlier. The problem that Pizzolatto is going to run into, Nick Pizzolatto, he... I, I don't know gonna, if they're doing a third one, a fourth one. That's But that's the challenge he'll run into, or any creator will run into, is when you make something as perfect as the first season that he made, everyone's going to compare it to that. Uh, yeah. that's You've just set the bar so high that you may have well, you know, you, you might be a pole vaulter who just accidentally set a world record, and now you're expected to beat that. It's it's just... it's a hard thing to to come back from after you just had like like you just had one of your favorite single seasons of all time. Right. Um, I think he's not the same level. I mean, Nick Pagliotti was more of a writer and everything, but um, Neil Blumkamp from oh the, yeah the director. I mean, he did District Nine first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely blew out of the water how freaking great that was right. i remember seeing that movie in theaters then elysium Whoa. elysium was the second one with uh matt damon mm-hmm. it was fine it was good interesting i, I liked it because it was i it was an interesting topic and an interesting kind of retrospective to think about and then chappy again was the next oh, one that, that was 
Uh, not good, not great. So, like, he's another one where District 9 was so freaking good. Ski slope. It was so good that everyone compares him to that. Yeah. That's tough. <laughs> yeah. Are they making District 10? I heard some news about that. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me now because he has, it's, it's been he has a, to it's go been back. It's time, too. I think District 9 was like 2008 or 2011, maybe 9. I'm saying a lot of dates now, so I'm going to be right eventually. I mean, yeah, you've got to be. Um, so, yeah, they're making it, uh, and it's going to be Bomb Camp as well. Of course. I mean, he um, has to go back to... But it's going to be... The subject is going to be bare bones, so it will relate... Just enough to the first one, oh, but it will okay. be a separate story. Yeah. So <laughs> another we'll see. limited series. Yeah, we'll see that. <laughs> limited series type movie. Yeah, but I mean, HBO probably has the best record for limited series. Another one that we could touch on and will be a subject of our future pod um, topic will be Watchmen. Watchmen. We'll, we'll that's talk a... the movies. We'll talk the Zack Snyder movie, and then we'll talk the TV show and do a little comparison there. Um, but no, I think that's a, I think we, we really covered True Detective. Do you want to... I mean, the only thing, like I said, we, I, we love True Detective and everything, but like we talked about in District 9 and Season 1 of True Detective, they, another one of my reasons I do always go back to this TV show and watch I love it is he created a, such a riveting world in True Detective. Oh, oh, okay. Um... So, where, like, you really felt like you were part of that world when you were watching the TV show I, I to think me. it helps that you're in rural Louisiana. Of course. But I'm saying, like, with the cinematography that was in it stuff, like, you really felt involved. And I think that is always a good thing with a TV show. I mm -hmm. think you, Game of Thrones did it early on with creating the world of Game of Thrones that everyone did know from the books and stuff and people who didn't know of being pretty, oh, God, this is really cool and stuff to look at. Right. I, I think... Um, one that's on um, Prime is The Expanse did the same thing that started on sci-fi with the Prime. They did a great job of world building to make you feel like you're really a part of that and be really excited about that. So I think that helped True Detective me watching season two because I was so interested in season one that he kind of gave me a leash to go on because I'm like, okay, I'll give you a long – because you did – it was so good I'm going to give you a chance. So I got to season, like, episode five, and I was like, okay, what if the ending's just so phenomenal? Right. Like, him but, be able to uh, give me season one allowed me to get through the full season toxic two. Toxic trait, you weren't really that into the first four episodes like you were season one. Though. No, exactly. <laughs> but he, I got, I 100% had a longer leash in season two because of what he right. did in season one. I yeah. think a lot of TV shows do that. We just, I just said Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was so good at bringing everybody in that, I think the last three seasons kind of was going down. Six was good. Um, seven and eight, that, but people stuck around because, one, they were committed. Right. And two, you... Decade, the whole decade. They were so good at what they did in the beginning that you kind of... We held out hope that, okay, they they will fix it season eight. They're yeah. going to fix it for here. Yeah. But Daenerys forgot about the Iron Fleet. No. I don't even want to get into the Game nope, of Thrones because we're me just going to get angry yep, then. Yep, yep, Let's not do that. But, no, I, I like what you say about the longer leash. I think it comes from two things. I think, like what you were saying, um, and what we were saying earlier, McAdams, Vaughn, and Colin Farrell not having the same chemistry yeah. that Harrelson and McConaughey had. That's the biggest thing. It just didn't work as well. No. And then number two, I, I because kind of playing off of that character development, I didn't care about them. 
That's a big thing. We I need... cared about the outcome for yes. Harrelson for McConaughey. I cared about what ended up happening with their characters because when you meet uh, McConaughey, he's he's you know he's already got a dark past. He spent six years undercover, and his I undercover mean... work wasn't easy. And McConaughey or and Harrelson's an alcoholic who cheats on his wife. Side note. Hilarious comment by uh, Alexandra Daddario, who plays the um, court, um, right, the, uh, the recorder, the court yeah, recorder. Um, she saw that Barack Obama's favorite TV shows of all time, True Detective season one's included. And she goes, well, I'm really happy that he loved it, but uh, it's a little bit weird that the president saw my tits. <laughs> what a quote. <laughs> what a quote. But no, I mean, it's. Even I cared about her, the side character, yeah, I, more than I cared about fucking Rachel McAdams. It's like, so you know, TV shows do. I mean, it's writing. It's not and, easy, and I'm I'm sure that. And like you said, characters. If you do create good, compelling characters, it also could get you through. Not great directing or like other things. Good character development also is something to me that creates that long release that allows you to keep going on TV mm. shows that may not be amazing, but you're invested in the characters, so you're like, I kind of got to see this through. Mm. Right. Like, that's another one for me. Like, right. I think if you create a great world with good characters, even if maybe the screenplay's not perfect, but the directing's not perfect, a lot of times I'm more compelled to keep watching because I'm kind of invested in them, mm. and invested in, like, oh, this is kind of pretty cool. Like, yeah. I want to keep going. At the end of the day, that's good TV. That's good movie. That's yeah. that's how you characters are your most important thing. Yes. Yeah. Make them believable, make them interesting, and make you emotionally attached. So, yeah, um, it's true detective though, man. It's, true, it's hard man, to compare that, to that. So freaking good. Hard to compare. It's very hard, hard. Yeah. Very. If something else comes along that's just as good, I'll be surprised. Um, and I'll Watchmen. Watchmen. Watchmen was another up there. Tease. I was Watchmen there. for the listeners. Watchmen's a. Uh, it's close. It's very. Close. And that's one that I got on late. Me too. I got to rewatch it. Yeah. So, but. Think it's time for some grab bag? I think it's time for some grab bag. Alrighty, so let's do the do the old uh, let's do this grab bag. So our thought was grab bag for this first episode. Now moving forward, depending on interactions we get it's from just... listeners or any other inspiration we have for grab bag, basically it's just random. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It's gonna be pretty random it, it's gonna be a random thing every week mm. but there's something that i mentioned to austin that i just had to talk about because it kind of grinds my gears right. and we're gonna do a little homage here both of us grew up with family guy we like that whole peter griffin grinds my gears segment and we're gonna, we're gonna pay homage to seth mcfarlane and to his creation of peter griffin and we're gonna do a little grind my gears segment so do you want well, me to start i, I you know what about it, I, am. I I agree with you because I think it's I think it's criminal, but I will let you go into it. So, and this came up recent because um, of the new movie they're about to put out, and I remember seeing like a trailer back in June about it, and I'm like, okay, you know, like it's probably going to be good because I see who's doing it, and the studio that's doing it is Pixar. Their new movie, it is I think it's just called Red. Yeah. No, there's uh, a red panda. No, it, she is a red panda. I think it's just red. Um, comes out in, I think, March. And I was like, okay. 
But then a story came up that it is going to be streaming only. And I was like, what? I'm like, I'm like, the pandemic is based. I mean, it movies are getting put out and Disney's animation has put out movies in the theaters. And then I saw an interview with one of the animators and they're like, yeah, we're basically almost getting relegated to being the streaming only studio. And that just blew my mind. And I didn't really think about it until I kind of mentioned it to you. And I was like, wait, this is going to be the third in a row mm-hmm. to go straight to streaming. So it was Soul, Encanto, and then this, right? And then Red. Okay. It's a uh, Turning Red. Turning Red. And, turning then, red. and then Turning Red. And the thing that just, I guess, confuses me is you had Disney animation, Raya the Last Dragon, went to theaters and then one or mid pandemic, mid pandemic, and then you had like Milan and stuff that you had to pay for on the streaming service. But Pixar, they're just putting straight on there. It's um, it's confusing to me. Yeah. So think about the bangers they have put out. I know. And, and now you're rel- like this is animation. And children is another way to get people to theaters. Children. What's the history of? So you know this better than I do. What's the history of Pixar purchase? From like when did Pixar get purchased from Disney? It was after Toy Story, I know that. It was after Toy Story, I think one and two, I think Cars and stuff because Pixar, which is, I mean, you had Steve Jobs after he got Apple, he went to he kind of co-created Pixar, but he more did that. He didn't really do much of the animation stuff, but he kind of was the head of everything. Right. But then uh, they created Toy Story. Um, Toy Story two came out, then it really started to pick up after Toy Story two. I mean, right. Toy Story well, was huge. Toy Story. Bugs Life. Bugs Life, yes. And then Toy, Toy Story, Story 2. 2. So you have, all those three did very well. Mm-hmm. Then, I mean, it didn't get bought until I think after like Cars 2? No, I think that's too late. Or was it right it was before Cars, Cars 2? Because um, I knew that's when Disney purchased it. It was around the Cars. Pixar purchased by Disney in 2006. So that means that... It was Toy Story, Cars, Bugs Life, Cars Toy came Story, out in 2006. Monsters Inc., and Finding Nemo. All before it got all bought. before it was purchased. So you had five absolutely. I mean, a Bugs Life being the, the, the worst. And I mean, I, I remember that as a kid. So I loved the Bugs Life because yeah. I was a freaking child. Thinking about that Flick now, he really likes beans. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean they <laughs> they put out some bangers. That's what I'm saying. Right. So of course Disney's going to buy them because Disney's trying to buy everything. Um, but it's crazy to me that you think the company that then put out Finding Dory, put out um, Up, put out freaking uh, in, right. Inside, what, what, uh, Inside uh, Out? Uh, inside Out, yeah. Yes. Like, I remember seeing those on the big screen. I used to work for a camp with kids who had cancer and everything. We always went to that, always went to the Pixar movie every year. And it was one of their favorite things. And I remember going to the summer event. release. It's just always it was always in the June. Like, it's always in June. Always when the kids are out of school, and, and it was like always flopped. Good. Always and good. Always in the ones they put out. Soul was amazing. If that was put out two years prior, right. that thing would have been freaking mega. So it 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 pisses me off that they're being relegated to Disney only, Disney Plus only. And like I said earlier in the pod, the reason is Disney is needs content. They have the least amount of content out of any other streaming service because they don't buy anybody else's content like Netflix does. Netflix buys content and makes their own. So mm-hmm. they're able to get two channels of that, two channels coming in for their streaming service. HBO Max, same thing. Paramount, same thing. Right. Disney doesn't. 
That's why they're. That's my reasoning why they're doing it, and I hope it stops. Well, here's what I think. I think that they probably. No, I I think that if they don't, if if for some reason turning red doesn't see theaters, then I will call Disney a bunch of lunatics because it. I understand a dual release between yes streaming and 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 theaters, mm-hmm. and and even if it's in theaters for only a few weeks, I understand that. But if it goes just to streaming, then here's the answer. It's a play just to get more exactly. subscribers That's exactly to what it would Disney+. Be. Plus. That's all it is. That's all. Come see be. the new Pixar movie on Disney+. On Plus. Disney+. Plus. It's free. Just subscribe and they're using the past. They're using the past success of Pixar to draw people there. I mean, and I'm, why wouldn't I'm you? Because they're so sync. good. It's the, it's the best animation studio easily. Yeah. I mean, Disney, they had their old animated studio, like, like for example, the, the original animated Lion King or Aladdin. Oh, Fantastic yeah. Fantastic animated, just straight Disney, no Pixar relation. But then you get those massive movies that well, Pixar came in 500 with million, the, the 3D million. Ren- 3D rendered. Like, it looked, and it looked brilliant no matter where, when it came out. I mean, obviously, Toy Story looks a little, a little dated, dated. But yeah, it looks now, but back then it looked yeah. incredible. We had no idea what that was, and and now the way that Pixar, I mean, Encanto was oh. something that was that was great. Beautiful. It always it gets prettier and prettier. I, Coco and Encanto, oh. both beautiful looking movies with the effects and and all the animation. It's just. And there's a reason why all these Pixar movies also then get nominated for Best Animated They feature. usually, statistically, if a Pixar movie is up for Best Animated Picture, it, it will win it. Most so of, I, I, the last time it didn't was... I will be year. surprised if they do change it. I think this is what's going to happen. And uh, I'm a little disappointed in it. Me too. Hey, my gears. That's I'll, what happens. That's I, what it is. I would be upset too, Will. I'll, I'll be upset if I find out that it's not going to theaters because I will pay to see this movie. I would on the big screen, but as as I will for any other Pixar movie that comes out, not only because of my childhood, but it's just it's great, they're good. They're great good. filmmaking. Yeah. So, no, it's uh, it's tough out there, man. We'll see. It's a, it's a, it's a we'll tough see. old world with, with so, capitalism. Anything uh, lately that's uh, grinding your old gears over there? Um, yeah, I actually kind of touched on this earlier, um, and this is kind of a call out to people who are especially during COVID, who are negative on the superhero exhaustion. Mm-hmm. So I called out Scorsese earlier in the podcast, um, and I'd like to follow up on that. Uh, and then someone else came out. I can't remember who. I think it was Ridley Scott who also just Scott. dumped on. He, he said that's why no one wants the last duel. Right. And it's like, no, no. Oh, one... yeah. Ridley Scott is absurd for blaming people who like superhero movies for not going to see the, the last duel. First of all, it was probably the worst marketing job I've ever seen for and a, the movie was for great. an A-list the movie was the great. first time Affleck and Damon were together. It was movie. phenomenal. And it, Adam Driver as a side. Yeah, like, it was really a wow. So but it was not a box office hit movie. The, it it they, was a perfect for streaming service. That's all I got. What say. they marketed as was it's Ridley Scott. Yeah. Not, not it's Matt Damon and Ben Affleck together for the first time in a long time. Maybe first time since Goodwill Hunting. It might have been first wasn't it? I believe so. Yeah. I so that's a selling point, but instead, you're Ridley Scott focused on himself because I'm Ridley Scott and alien. Okay, and so, but I want to continue because yeah. my gears are grinding. And yeah, I, they're going. I need some WD forty for this fucking shit. Um, I am so upset about 
this gripe by these directors because their movies aren't being seen and other superheroes are being like movies are being that, seen. Yeah, that type and of other movie. yeah non-original IP mm-hmm. is being consumed before that. These guys don't understand that the success of those movies are going to get people back in theaters regardless. Yeah. You can only see a superhero movie so many times. I've, I've gone to the theater. I saw Endgame twice in theaters. I, I, saw, saw, I saw Infinity War twice in theaters. And I, I'm embarrassed to say, but I saw Captain Marvel twice in theaters. You know, I don't know, I call me a simp for Brie Larson, but I enjoyed that movie a lot just because of reason. Mendelssohn, Jude Law, Brie Larson. It, I thought it was, was good. the weakest part of that movie. Yeah. She still killed it. But it, it's regardless, these guys are bringing people to the theater. They're making fans flock to the silver screen and you want to shit on that on going into the theater and seeing a movie, regardless of what it is. It doesn't matter if it's what you've written or what other people have. If people are more likely to see one movie in the theaters, they'll go and see something else too. They want that theater experience. And if you generate enough, I mean, it's hard to generate as much buzz as, as a movie that has existing, you know, whether it be nostalgia or sentimental value to the viewer, you're not, you know, with an original story that you want to create, you're not going to get that many people, but you can make it interesting. So what I, I want to jump off that. One of the current directors that you only need to market his name and people will go see the movie. No, no, you will go see his movie. He only got this notoriety because he directed a superhero movie. Oh, hold on. Now let's play a guessing game. Uh, now you're going to guess about this. Not fat. Mm. Oh no, tentpole movies now. But what the? But he name is the name. Russos? No. Um. Now he's doing just Brian Johnson. You're going away from. These are older. Oh, the movies. older. So not really older. Hit me with it. I'm done playing the guessing game. Chris Nolan. Oh yeah. Jeez. Because of Batman. Yeah. People knew him, and then because of the Dark Knight, especially. So freaking good. Like okay, Chris Nolan really knows what he's doing. He had um. Other ones, but I was that, thinking Marvel. That was that cemented him as, and now you see Chris Nolan, you're like, okay, I gotta give him a chance. Mm-hmm. Post Batman, especially, right? So he got the name because he did a superhero, and he was one of the ones who did a superhero movie and made it his own, made it a Chris Nolan movie, right? And you still had that feel and stuff. Yes, it was still a superhero movie, but he still had real world kind of like implications. Implications. These and... these directors are complaining. They don't realize that still could be a medium that you could do real-world stories and stuff. And there's plenty of superhero movies that break that mold. Right. I mean, you have stuff like Kick-Ass, who completely goes the other way than Marvel and stuff does. Darker, grittier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have... You could still do that. You could still create your own stuff within the superhero genre. And to me, like, Chris Nolan's a perfect example. The upcoming Batman, they're allowing allowing Reeves to basically go with it to... Mm. A completely new type of Batman. Let's not delve too deep into Batman, I want to save. But I, it doesn't make sense. It grinds my gears now that... Why are you complaining? Right. Sorry, I'm, I, my gears ground your yeah. gears. I apologize. They grind that. them together. <laughs> Pixar grinded your gears. Yeah. Freaking no, it's, Ridley uh, Scott grinding my gears yeah, over here. Jeez, Louise. But it's it's like... No, you, you make a great point. Because, you know, they could do something along those lines. It doesn't even have to be superhero. It could just be slightly existing IP, something people are familiar with, make a twist on it, and then all of a sudden it's zero. Now, I'm not going to say that 
people aren't going to flock to a Scorsese the next movie he puts out because whatever no, they, whatever well. he puts out it's going to be a banger like but, but Scorsese doesn't have that problem really Scott he's he a little dated in the last few movies he's made yeah they've yeah, been, been, been a great. little brutal and Prometheus I mean, and then Alien I love Covenant Pro- I actually not, loved Prometheus so I'm not Alien Covenant I couldn't um, believe they killed off Fassbender that quickly I mean not I mean what not Fassbender her off oh yeah 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 when he yes because yeah, you you could tell he really didn't have a plan going from Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's and it's it's tough for for these guys, and you know Ridley's getting older. But, but I think superhero movies are are good for the industry. Yeah, I mean they're good for everyone. But stop this will, this will be this will be an issue that will continue to surface between critics who are exhausted of of, of the superhero genre, and 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 even you know keyboard critics Matt Kosky who like to just shit on any sort of IP that's existing and he just wants original stuff. Like, just give, whole, me, just yeah. give me something original and, and you know, artsy and stuff. Like, yeah, that's but, I love stuff. A24, go watch an A24 movie. Guess but what? that, that you know, stuff is also... fucking pizza. Or, that stuff is still also out there. Right. It's just now... It's, it's not that main, It's not mainstream. You can go find it. It's, it's just now been given to these streaming services. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of these films that jump up on your Netflix's Apple TV and Apple T whatever it is, Apple Plus, that have actually very good movies that are these out art houses, but they're not gonna make money in the theater, so they're putting them here. So you can find these movies. Mm-hmm. So don't complaining about right. not having original IP is crazy to me because there's so much fucking content out mm-hmm. there. I think the pretentious gripe is that if those art house movies go to streaming only they have a tough time finding it in theaters where they actually want to watch it, which I, that's, yes, like I, only, that's a good, that's gripe. truly that's the only gripe that I can understand. And cause we are two that's hard. We love theaters. It's hard. Yes. You know, I don't want to drive. If like, for example, if I lived in the city of Chicago and I had to drive or I had to go 10, 15 miles to a small theater that's screening this art house movie. I wouldn't be happy. Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck that. I'll wait till I can see it elsewhere or, that effort's going to be expensive, but I'll pull, you know, you know, you pull it through. It, so it, it's just tough, but, uh, you know, that is what it is. And that's what this podcast is going to be. We're going to air yeah. our grievances. We're going to chat oh. what what we want to chat about, what you as listeners want to chat about with us, what you want to hear us talk about. We'll uh, maybe once in a while we'll do any sort of goofy Q&A or... Um, even the most absurd suggestions. It's going to be a random selection, like we said before. It's, it should be fun. We're both, I know we've been amped up doing this the whole time, excited, and mm-hmm. uh, I can't wait to see what the future holds for us. Right. So just wanted to say thank you for bearing with us. This was our first go. A um, few cuts here and there. Hopefully you can't tell where we uh, make those cuts. Um, but it's uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you through this medium we hope you come back and listen more and participate in social and reach out to us to let us know what you want to hear because we're more than happy to um create for our audience so from austin shanahan and will dorjath we say thank you and stay peachy everybody